Welcome to the Iron Butterfly Podcast, co-produced by the National Security Institute and the amazing women of the IC, better known as AWIC. My name is Katie Nockin Hopkins, and I will be your host. 80 years ago, Eloise Page joined the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, a predecessor for what we recognize today as the United States intelligence community. Page started as a secretary, but worked her way to becoming a case officer, and later, she became the first female chief of station at CIA. Along the way, she earned the nickname Iron Butterfly, known for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. The Iron Butterfly podcast aims to continue her legacy, inviting the U.S. intelligence community's unsung heroines to share their stories with aspiring IC leaders. This episode, we are joined by Nazareth Berhani. Nazareth Berhani currently serves as a program manager on the IC Centers for Academic Excellence team within the IC Human Capital Office at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, or ODNI. Before her current assignment at ODNI, Nazareth served in various capacities at the Federal Bureau of Investigation with the Foreign Language Program and also served as FBI's Directorate of Intelligence, Diversity, and Inclusion Coordinator, an important role providing liaison functions with the Human Resources Division's Diversity and Inclusion Section. Nazareth currently serves as the Women's Intelligence Network Vice Chair. She holds an MS in Management Information Systems from the University of Maryland, and in her free time, Nazareth likes to spend time with her small and extended family and works to advocate for mental health in East African communities to help normalize discussions about mental health and help remove the negative stigma. Nazareth, it's such a joy to be here with you today. I know we have a lot of ground to cover with your story, but I was hoping you could just start by telling us about who you are and where you grew up. Absolutely. First of all, thank you all for the opportunity to share my journey. I really appreciate it. I am touched and um, grateful. So I was born in uh, Sudan, in Khartoum, um, but my parents are from Ethiopia and Eritrea. Due to the war that was happening in the 60s through the 90s um, in Ethiopia and Eritrea, a lot of Ethiopians and Eritreans migrated to different parts of the world. Sudan being the closest one um, is one that my parents and um, millions of Ethiopians moved to. So I was born there, lived there for the first 24 years of my life. And I moved to the U.S. um, in 94 after having completed my uh, undergraduate university in management at Ahfad University and having um, like a couple years experience working at Citibank in Khartoum. Um, I moved to the U.S. and I pursued my graduate degree at UMD, um, got that, and then joined the IC, which is a story we'll get to later. I am one of eight kids, seven girls and one young man. Call him King Johannes. Um, I am married with two kids. My husband's from Uganda. So I always say that um, I cover East Africa just by virtue of being born in Sudan, being of Ethiopian Eritrean heritage, and being married to a Ugandan who also uh, studied in Kenya. So I got East Africa covered if you are interested to learn about it. (laughs) That is so amazing. Uh, I feel like that's that's pretty rare in our community. Uh, And I love that. You know, it's it's awesome to have somebody on Iron Butterfly who can who can speak from that perspective. So I'm curious, you know, can you tell us a little bit about some of your early days in America? You know, was there anything that surprised you and, and what did you do for a living? I just would love to hear a 
little bit about how it was when you first got here. I had a huge cultural shock um, when I moved because being from a large family um, and my culture is really very, very strong and, and my family, especially my parents are very focused on family. I was just used to the connection with people who, you know, like you get out, out of the house and you see people walking around and you're saying hi to everybody and everybody knows everybody else. And it was just a very familiar, comfortable environment. And I thought that it was going to be the same. Little did I know that um, I'm moving to D.C. and it's a very busy city and and one of the first things that I used to complain to my sisters about, um, I moved in with my two older sisters in Silver Spring, which is now known as Little Ethiopia, by the way. Um, I said, why do you guys not say hi to everybody? And why does nobody say hi to everybody? <laughs> like, oh why God. are you walking around and not greeting each other? Um, and I started greeting people and some would greet me back, but generally that just, I think that's one thing that gave me a huge cultural shock and made me feel very um, disconnected. And I didn't recognize it then, but I think I was just going through depression. And I just told my sisters after, you know, like after a year, I said, I just can't do this. I, I'm ready to go. This is not what I expected. So it was a, that was one, you know, cultural shock that um, hit me really bad, but, but it helped that I had my amazing support system my sisters you know my family back home so they helped me acclimate and um help me adjust a little bit. And once I got into, you know, like the rhythm of life in the U.S., running around, you know, going to school, having a job, um, learning how to use public transportation, you know, started school, went to UMD, things started to get a little bit better. Um, and I'll tell you a funny story about UMD and about my cultural shock. I don't know if I told you that before, but as, an, as a graduate student at UMD, one of my first experiences, I guess, as um, someone who's not used to to the U.S. Uh, educational system, I needed to use the bathroom. And having gone to Catholic schools all my life, and then I went to a private university that was, you know, not strict, but, you know, also still observant and culturally uh, conservative. I thought that I had to stay until the class was over to use the bathroom. So I, still, oh. <laughs> I could not. Because you couldn't do that. I mean, Catholic schools, um, the nuns were very strict about what you can and cannot do. <laughs> I mean, I walk into the class and I'm just sitting there and I find I can't do it. And I'm like, excuse me, sir, can I use the bathroom? The, I think my professor at the time, he was just probably used to people like me asking him those questions. Like, young lady, not only can you, you use the bathroom, you can leave anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the things that you don't think of. I did not. I did not. I was like, oh, my gosh, how embarrassing. He must be laughing at me. But um, yeah, it was it was a cultural shock, but I eventually got used to it. And one of my very first jobs um, in the U.S. was um, house cleaning, which is right up my alley because growing up in a big house, everybody had something to do. And I didn't get the gene from my mom to be a great cook, but I definitely um, have this kind of almost OCD um, to clean things around me. I like everything to be clean and proper and tidy. So that was my first job. And I like to share that with people occasionally. I don't think I shared it with a lot of people at work. Um, but whenever I talk to my young ladies that I mentor or people around me, I just remember where I started and where I am now having the privilege 
and the honor to serve my country in different capacities and to be in the intelligence community is just very mind-blowing to me. And it, it, it humbles me a lot to remember that, you know, I started house cleaning. And it's not that I didn't have the degree, you know, like I had my undergrad, I had experience, I speak English fluently and, and all of that, but I just did not want to stay home. I needed to be useful I needed to do something and I didn't feel that it was beneath me to do that, even though that I held positions in offices before I uh, came to the U.S. I just felt like it's an honest living, Um, earning a living. It doesn't matter what it is. I was raised by two parents who instilled in me the like really strong ethics of hard work and being kind and being respectful to people around you and not thinking of something as, as it's like beneath you to do. So I appreciated that. And in my life, I feel like it helps me whenever I walk around, you know, like my office or everywhere that I look at people and I don't look at them um, as I am better than them because of my financial standing or because of where I am or because of who I am. I always try at least to treat people with kindness and not to look at them from the perspective of, you know, how much money they earn or what kind of job they do. I'll greet the janitor, the person who's in the the security, the person who works at a McDonald's. I don't care who you are. I will always greet you with a smile. I'll always try to be kind because that's just how I was raised. So doing that job, it didn't really bother me then. But when I think of it now, I think, wow, uh, I did that. (laughs) And I am where I am now. I mean... That is just such an incredible journey, it sounds like. And I would love to know, I mean, how did you find your way from, you know, starting in America, cleaning homes into the intelligence community? So eventually I started my um, graduate degree at UMD and then uh, found different jobs as an intern, as a data analyst. So I moved around and I even worked as a teller at at a bank in um, Maryland. But at some point in my life, I met my um, husband, now boyfriend, Ben, and he knew that I speak Arabic as my first language. So he encouraged me because I kept complaining about my huge loans from UMD at the time. To me, it was very huge. I He said, why don't you apply? I hear FBI is hiring. They need Arabic linguists. And that was like in the early 2000s, right after 9-11, where there was a strong need for Arabic speaking U.S. citizens. So I honestly thought, you know, why not? But I didn't take it seriously because I had a job at the time. I was a data analyst and I was like, I even got a promotion as a manager of a, of a small team. So I'm like, I'm making it, you know, like I am climbing that ladder and I'm doing really good. So why would I want to change that? But to be able to pay my school loans, I figured, why not? How hard can it be to do that? I Little did I know, because it definitely um, is hard to do the job and to get into the IC. So I applied, forgot about it. And as God would have his make his plans for me, I got laid off from the company where I was working as a data analyst and um, the background investigator came and interviewed my manager, uh, background investigator for the bureau, that is. Um, so I applied and I got the job because I had, you know, the language skills and I guess the background. And it didn't hurt that I had, you know, a couple of degrees at 
at that point, I had the master's from UMD and the undergrad um, in management. I speak Tigrinya, the language spoken in Eritrea. Um, so that helped, I believe, because I don't think at the time there were a lot of uh, people who spoke that language in the IC. Not that there was a need, but it was one of those um, things that really, I believe, helped me um, get through to uh, the intelligence community. And I am beyond grateful to George for encouraging me to consider it because what started as something that was supposed to help me pay off my school loan, which it did, all $40,000 of it. Thank you, FBI. Um, I now have a career and I believe I created a legacy for myself um, that is really strong and I enjoy what I do. Like I said, it's, it just gives me a really strong sense of pride um, to to be someone from where I came from, you know, from Sudan, from Eritrea, Ethiopia via Sudan, and to come and walk the hallways of the different intelligence communities and know that I participated in whatever way, small or big, to protect my fellow U.S. citizens is something that I take pride in. And um, it's very humbling. And it just helps me continue to do my best in, in what I do. And, and also remember that I am the first in my family uh, to join the IC, to be a federal employee, the first, I believe, to have my master's uh, degree. It's a lot of responsibility, but it gives me a lot of pride. And I go to bed at night a lot of times just overwhelmed with how grateful and blessed I feel to have been given the opportunity because I don't think everybody gets it. It's a blessing. And I, you know, I take that gift very seriously and I take my job very seriously. And I try to bring other people who look like me into the IC as much as I can. Well, I hope that after we finish this podcast episode, you also tell your husband, thank you from the rest of us. <laughs> I can also say that we are equally grateful uh, that he brought you to this community, um, whether, you know, regardless of the reason, uh, you know, what what kept you here is may, might be different than why you came in the first place. But, you know, I I would love to know. I, I feel like my my imagination is is just kind of amazed thinking about you on your first day at FBI. Uh, I, you know, I can't imagine how surreal that must have been. Can you uh, describe that for us? Oh my gosh, that was beyond. I feel like I was the kid in the candy store. I feel like there are no words to describe how I felt. I was so overwhelmed, emotional, um, excited. There was just so much um, happening, you know, like so many emotions that I was experiencing. And it was, I think a lot of it had to do with, my gosh, I am in the Hoover building. I am in a place that I used to see in movies. And by the way, my name is Nazareth Berhani. My name is not, you know, um, I don't know, you pick a name that you can imagine would be walking the hallways of, of FBI. I just did not think, honestly, that there is a place for me in the IC. I did not. And, and I think a lot of it, a lot of that had to do with what I saw, what I was told. And some of it, of course, is untrue, but I was just overjoyed. I was so excited and giddy and I just talked nonstop. I <laughs> talked to um, my supervisor at the time. I think I talked his ears off and I kept talking about George and my family 
and you know like um what I will do and I kept asking him so many questions and I think at some point during that day when I sat down it kind of hit me that I Nazareth Berhane daughter of Mr. Berhane the guy may he rest in peace and Alberta Mesgen my mom I am in the FBI that that's just astounding and it might not seem like a lot to you know somebody else but to me being an immigrant and and just coming here not knowing you know like you don't know you have no idea what's out there for you you hear a lot of stories about things that happen and you know how people fail and who succeeds and what not i you know it is just it's a lot it was a lot to process a lot of it was happiness but um i think when i sat down i realized wow this is a huge responsibility i need to make sure that i never ever ever do anything say anything behave in any way that is disrespectful to my parents because they sacrificed so much for me and my sisters to be able to go through what you know get education have a good life come here to the US they did so much for me that i cannot fail i just think that's so beautiful um and i mean please don't apologize this i think your story is just so unique um and so powerful and your perspective really i mean you're you're completely right you you bring a perspective that really no one else does and that diversity is really what makes the community you know so so amazing um and so thank you just for your service and thank you to your parents um for all they sacrificed to bring you to this community as well i would also you know just love to hear it sounds like you know your journey to the intelligence community was was incredibly uh just unique in its own right um and i'd love to know you know how your career unfolded kind of over the course of of the years that you've spent in the IC and and how did you kind of land in your current role? Thank you for a great question. Um so I when I started in the bureau, I started as an Arabic linguist and I had an amazing mentor. Um his name is Karim Hanna. He still remains to be one of my best um mentors and one of the greatest gifts that um God blessed me with uh he gave me the best advice helped me when i was an a linguist he was a linguist when i was uh hired and then got promoted to manage a critical language program um when he got promoted up out of that position um he had trained me and mentored me and helped me um in different ways to understand that position to a point where i became um eligible to apply for the position when he vacated it I did um so I left my hat as an an Arabic linguist and then became a program manager over a critical language program for um four or five years and then um one of my other mentors told me that I needed to step out and expand my um experience beyond the bureau so I did a joint duty assignment at ODNI in the foreign language program where I met another amazing mentor um Don Gentile he um really gave me so many opportunities and he was he kept telling me Nazareth you are capable of and you are punching at a level higher than your current level you're definitely 
someone who can move beyond where you are right now. And he kept giving me assignments because I proved to him that I was capable that um, helped me gain more experience, um, interacting with different agencies, um, being part of really big projects that I really am proud of. And then I went back after that joint duty to the foreign, to FBI's foreign language program, managed another critical language program for about a year. Um, but before I left ODNI, I had made some really strong connections and I let everybody know who would listen to me that I really wanted to come back to ICCV. Um, I wanted to work in Bethesda because it was closer to home and it was um, a better commute. But more importantly, as a mom of two teens now, I just felt the really strong urge and need to be more present as a, uh, as a mother. And I wanted to be around for them, you know, do things like drop them off to school, pick them up from their sports events, just be around before they go off to college and a job at ODNI in Bethesda would have allowed me to do that. So a, a year into my uh, a, a new job at FBI, I heard of a position with the IC Center for Academic Excellence as a project coordinator. So I applied for that. And I will tell you, I prepared like hell. I prepared like I was going to, like there was no way for me to get a no from that interview, even though I knew that I wouldn't get an answer then. I researched as much as I could about the job, about the office. Um, I even had like a binder all prepared with all the projects that I have accomplished to show them how good I am. I was like, I'm not leaving without wowing the heck out of everybody in that room. And I must have, I guess. Um, <laughs> so it seems. <laughs> So it seems because I am now at ODNI in Bethesda working for um, the IC Center for Academic Excellence. And it's a job that I really enjoy at this phase in my life because um, it allows me to interact with students in universities. Um, and it's a program that is centered on diversity, something that I really, really feel strongly about and work towards every time that I, if every waking moment that I can um, personally and at work. Yeah, what an amazing application of just your kind of background and experience. Um, that just sounds like such an amazing fit. And I, I also would love to know, I mean, in all the roles that you have held throughout the community, I mean, what, I mean, what has it been like for you? I mean, you spoke about this a, a bit, um, but to be an immigrant and a first-generation American in the IC? And how do you speak to other kind of aspiring IC leaders who kind of share that same background? As an immigrant, I think one thing that helped me a lot when I landed in the Bureau in the foreign language program is that I was surrounded with a lot of people who had the exact same background. They were immigrants. They spoke a foreign language. This was their second, third, or fifth career. Um, so we kind of had like a connection and we were a family. We helped each other and it was a very, very, very comfortable environment for me. Um, as I matured in my career and I went to ODNI and I saw in ODNI's role, like across the IC, that there is a report that is issued annually that talks about, you know, diversity and um, lack of diversity in the IC. The um, issues and challenges that we face in terms of women 
being promoted beyond a certain GS level, not necessarily being promoted, I would say just the, the, the numbers of women uh, beyond certain GS levels, I think 13, were not the same as their male counterparts. So as I read those reports and I was exposed to different agencies, my eyes were open to the fact that there is work to be done. And I am a firm believer um, in not being someone who complains about a problem without bringing a solution (laughs) to the situation. Yeah, so I just tried to engage. I I signed up for any ERG that I can, basically. (laughs) I am also someone um, with a hidden disability and that's uh, basically, namely ADHD. I was diagnosed as an adult, and that's one thing I think that uh, we often do not think of when we think of diversity in BIC. We don't think of uh, folks with disabilities, hidden or not, um, and the value that they can bring to the intelligence community. So I try, to the best of my ability, to engage in different initiatives just to raise my hand whenever there is help needed in anything that I believe in, um, mental health, uh, DEI space, diversity, equity, and inclusion, just so that I'm not saying the numbers don't, uh, don't make sense or we should do better, but I'm also part of whatever solution I think is um, the way forward in a positive direction. Absolutely. I mean, I can just tell from this conversation how important diversity and inclusion and accessibility really are to you and how much you've fought for those in our community and otherwise. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious if you personally have encountered any challenges or barriers in the IC as an immigrant or with mental health or otherwise. I wouldn't say as an immigrant, I I think because when I landed in the IC, I was in the Bureau, I was among a a group of people who shared similar background. But I think when I was diagnosed um, with ADHD in 2016, I want to say, it was an eye-opening experience that helped me understand myself better. But it also helped me understand the challenges that people like me face. And that sometimes you are perceived as someone, you're kind of othered, if that's the right um, way to say it. And if you share, which I did with one, you know, coworker that I was diagnosed with ADHD as my way to just explain, like, if I am talking a lot, or if I interrupt you, um, or if there's something about what I'm doing or what I'm saying that seems off, I'm letting you know it might be related to ADHD, not to use it as something to hang my hat on and say that that's an excuse, but it was my way of kind of explaining to this person that this is why it's happening and I just want you to know. Um, That can sometimes be perceived as you need help and I will do things for you or, you know, you're not smart and I'll do things different so that you could do the work or here you go. You, in order for you to understand this project, I'm going to prepare it in a way that makes sense for you. Just kind of hyper being hyper-focused on the things that are a challenge for me as someone with a hidden disability, instead of just listening to me and understanding that I, if I needed help, I would ask for it. And that right now you're making me feel like 
I'm not capable or that I, you know, I am different in a bad way. Um, so that's something that I think for us in the community and in, in private sector, I'm sure there's many stories, similar stories to that we could use um, some help with and, and in just trying to make sure that people with disabilities, hidden or not, um, are not just afforded the reasonable accommodation, which I got at ODNI and at FBI, and I'm super grateful for, but that people who work with you, people above you, know that when you talk about ADHD or you talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about, it takes a lot. Not everybody's comfortable sharing about their hidden disability because the stigma is still there. Uh, people still look at you sideways sometimes when you share that. Um, so I am just on a mission kind of trying to normalize that discussion. And whenever I talk about it, I try to say things like, you know, I didn't take my medication today. And it could be saying like, oh, but you better take that medication in a very negative way. And that's definitely not what I want. What I'm trying to tell you is if you are diabetic or if you have any kind of medical condition and you say you take your medication, when I'm saying the same about my ADHD, it should not be viewed any different. And I don't need you to help me or make me feel like, you know, I am special. Mm-hmm. That's that's not my intention. What I need from you is just to be open and understanding and to extend grace and to not um, make people feel like they're less than. Oh, man, this is just such a such a powerful, powerful answer. And I think just to echo some of what you said, you know, it takes so much courage, I think, to be open in this community about mental health. Uh, And I think the more we kind of normalize that, it really does remove that stigma. Um, And so thank you for doing that, you know, in your own spaces and proving that, uh, you know, you are incredible. (laughs) And this is, you know, one part of who you are uh, that you know, that should be honored. And I just really appreciate that. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So, you know, to to this end, you have played just this critical role in founding and leading an organization for women in the intelligence community called WIN. So can you share a little bit with our listeners about WIN and why the work that you do is just so important to the mission of intelligence? Thank you for the kind words. So when uh, the Women's Intelligence Network is one of six intelligence community affinity network groups um, known as ICANNs uh, to include Pride, African-American, Latin, and WIN's role as an ICANN is to elevate the issues that women in the intelligence community um, deal with, like the topic that I mentioned earlier related to the annual demographic report and the uh, representation of women at certain GS levels and um, a host of topics. So it came out of a grassroots effort. It was it started organically as a grassroots effort. A group of us, uh, IC personnel, met in 2018, and our goal was basically to be um, the change that we want to see. We wanted to be action-oriented. We wanted to be data-driven. We wanted to find out what are the issues based on the data that was out there to include the annual demographic report because it's a report that tells a story from um, different agencies that report that produce that participate in the report. So we wanted to rely on that data to kind of identify 
the top issues that women deal with and then work on those issues as a group. Um, and our passion and our drive and dedication and commitment um, got the attention of, uh, at the time, the chief of EEOD, uh, Rita Sampson. She sponsored the group and helped us stand up the uh, group as an official ICANN. That was in 2019. And since then, uh, thanks to a lot of really hard work um, by different men and women in the community who are doing it as a collateral duty, so I am forever grateful to them. Um, we have met with DNI Haynes and Dr. Dixon last year. We are scheduled to meet with uh, both or maybe one, depending on their schedule, um, next month with the goal of briefing them about what the group has done to date, um, what specifically are we asking of them, and how can we continue to help push the issues that affect uh, the women in the intelligence community um, at the highest level, but also with an eye of being a group that provides solutions and not just talks about the problem. So... I'm really super proud of the group. I am the vice chair. I started when I was in the bureau and I carried my duties to ODNI. I'm grateful to them for um, supporting me in continuing this because it's something that I often say I, I'm working weekends and weeknights to um, support when and I will do that happily and I'll do it as a full-time job because I do firmly believe that Without all of us working together to figure out what the issues are and trying to work on it together to find solutions in a productive, um, cohesive, inclusive way, the problems that we're talking about now will be the same that my daughter or her generation will face when they come to the IC. And that's not something that I would want for them. I I and my um, colleagues in the leadership team and when work really hard to make sure that that's not the case. Um, at a minimum, we want to make sure that there is a group that has their back and elevates their voice. Not that women are voiceless, because we all have a voice. I love that. And uh, I can speak from experience that WIN is a really incredible organization uh, that is really kind of systematically solving some of the problems that women in the community are facing. So thank you for just being such a such a thought leader in this space and for creating and sustaining that group um, over the past couple of years. It's, it's a really special community. Thank you. So Nazareth, we have come to the end. Uh, and as you know, we end each of our episodes with the same question. So in keeping with the name of this podcast, Iron Butterfly, if you had to give yourself a code name, what would it be and why? Gosh, that took me so long. So at first, at first I I always try to honor my heritage, the Ethiopian Eritrean heritage, and I wanted to find a name that reflects that. But my Tigrinya is third in the languages that I speak. So I just abandoned that. And I said, I will, I do not want to cause my culture, um, you know, any issues with me picking a name that is not appropriate. So I talked with my um, best friend, George, my husband, and he and I agreed that Khaleesi from Game of Thrones. Oh, my gosh. Is a good name. And um, as I was going, and it's so weird, I was going through my boxes from the bureau and I found this letter um, from an intern that I had supported um, back at, uh, in the Bureau. 
And if you could allow me to read the letter to you, it, it was, I was like, I, I chose the right name. This oh, is, yes. This is, this is hilarious. Well, hilarious in a good way. Um, so the, he gave me a letter and it had the picture. And I wish I could show you the picture, but this is an audio session. But it had the picture of Khaleesi. And at first I was like, dude, I'm not white. I'm not blonde. Why are you giving me this picture? <laughs> So he's like, wait, 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 just read, read it. And you don't understand. And I was like, okay. Um, so it reads, mother of dragons, you are Nazareth, storm born, the unburnt mother of dragons and breaker of chains, manager of national programs um, and a whole bunch of things that uh, not relevant to this and um, puller of samples. We pull samples for language quality in the Bureau. Um, it has been my absolute pleasure to work with you these past three years. I still remember you as a linguist seeing me off in 2008 and then greeting me in the lobby on my first day in 2012. You've been with me for every step of my journey here so far, and I couldn't have hoped for a better person to do that with. Your personality and management style have enabled me to do my best work here, so I thank you for that. I will miss coming to your office to discuss some tasks, not only to find myself laughing about one of us misspeaking, he speaks Arabic, a silly email we received or the general craziness that goes on. Your sense of humor and welcoming personality is such a jolt of energizing positivity and it made my, my job so much more enjoyable. I believe you're such a loving and fair soul and I count myself as lucky for having worked with you so closely. I will sorely miss you and you will be hearing from me while I'm training and after that, hopefully for a long time. I, I saw the picture, read the words. Of course, I was emotional because, you know, I'm always very, I cry very quickly. Um, but it just, you know, confirmed it for me. I'm like, yes, George and Nazareth are, are right. Khaleesi is the code name. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love that. And it is so fitting. You are the mother of dragons. That was <laughs> an amazing note. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're welcome. So thank you, Nazareth, for just sharing your time and your story with us today. Um, you just have such an incredible life and career. Uh, you are just amazing. Uh, and you just make our community stronger every day. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for the opportunity. Thank you for all the work that you do um, in this group. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Awesome. Thanks so much. This has been an episode of Iron Butterfly, co-produced by the Amazing Women of the IC and the National Security Institute at George Mason Scalia Law School. To find out more about AWIC, email us at awicpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also learn more about NSI and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you like the show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Lastly, we want to thank Megan, Amanda, Liz, and Ruth for production assistance. Stay fierce, and we'll talk next time.